Our last guest, Flavio Volpe, brought up a very interesting and crucial point. How can so few people with at best unclear objectives and vague or impossible demands shut down such important trade routes as the Windsor-Detroit Ambassador Bridge? We all know the challenges of trying to balance the legitimate right to protest with the protection of critical infrastructure such as borders in this country. Um, and I think all of us hope this will be resolved peacefully, peacefully. But a G7 country seems to be standing by while a very small group takes money out of the pockets of working families right across Canada. How is that? Well, joining me now with some answers is national security expert Arn Kozlenko, an associate professor with the Department of History at Ryerson and an instructor in the Margaret Macmillan Trinity One International Relations Program at the University of Toronto. Arn, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Arn, I was reading a paper you co-wrote uh, last year with Wesley Work uh, called What's Next for Borders and Security, uh, looking at the impact of the pandemic on border security in general. I'm wondering how these blockades we're seeing now in Windsor and Coots would fit into that analysis. That's yeah, an excellent question. And, and the short answer is I don't know that everybody or anybody really knows, to be, to be honest with you. These are somewhat unprecedented in their scale and scope, and particularly in the sense that they're aiming at really vital uh, elements of, of cross-border trade, which has the, the net effect of, uh, well, at least the potential of pretty quickly compromising everyday life in this country, about uh, 25% uh, you know, of, of foodstuffs and so on uh, stream across that border on a daily basis. That, that jeopardizes a lot of food security for, for Ontarians in particular. Um, these kind of demonstrations we've seen before, different, different architects, different causes, uh, but nothing quite on the scale and not with that in mind. So that, that presents a whole host of challenges. Uh, and I, I, you know, speak with some confidence uh, uh, to tell you that, you know, border security just can't anticipate all of the ins and outs uh, of something like that, pretty much in the same way that Ottawa police haven't been able to, uh, to, to account for every single, you know, contingency plan uh, in response to the demonstrations there. A lot of what's been happening has sort of been telegraphed on social media. And one of the points that you raised in that paper you wrote with Wesley Work was the idea to have to monitor open sources of communication to try and get a step up on what might happen. Why do you think this hasn't happened in this case? And what are the complexities of that? Yeah, uh, you know, I think it has happened. I think I think we need to be realistic that obviously the ongoing, and, and it is ongoing, the ongoing uh, dynamics of intelligence operations here are understandably uh, closed to the rest of us, right? These are, are processes which need to be protected. So CSIS, RCMP, uh, Ottawa Police even aren't releasing their their you know, dynamics as, as they unfold. Um, the other thing that needs to be said is there are limitations, right, of course, to, to open source intelligence because they're open source. Uh, they're very valuable in a lot of ways, and they actually make up a bulk of intelligence operations, contrary to, to most people's understanding of these things. Um, but they don't necessarily give you a, a complete picture. They don't give you an, op an open picture. It's not as easy to process as people might imagine. I mean, for example, how do you sift out uh, somebody who has a, a social media profile which is engages in conspiracy theories and may talk about the, the, the freedom convoy, the truckers, versus somebody else who's actually doing the planning or organization of it? Um, so, you know, what is pretty obvious, and I think legitimate concern for Canadians and legitimate criticism, uh, is how intelligence and policing here weren't able to better control, particularly the Ottawa dimensions of the protest, given that it was telegraphed for a couple of weeks. Uh, the analogy has been given to January 6, 2021 in the U.S., where 
law enforcement and intelligence officials, well aware of far-right groups in that country for many years, uh, didn't really get an estimation of what was happening on the day of, uh, within a couple of hours of that actual uh, attack on on, uh, on the Capitol Hill. Uh, whereas here you had a couple of weeks, and I think that is the question that's going to be asked in, in, the, in the days and months to come, um, because certain measures probably could have been taken. I'm, I'm no expert on policing, but you know my understanding is certainly you could have cordoned off uh, um, you know, Wellington Street in, in Ottawa and sort of secured the, the, uh, the Capitol, at least the Parliament buildings. Um, so these are these are ongoing questions. And, and, you know, last but not least, and maybe probably most importantly, to be honest with you, especially because I teach this stuff and if my students are listening, I want them to get it right on the exam question. Um, you know, this is a civil society. We're a democratic country. And the idea that intelligence can do everything people sometimes think it can do and should do is uh, is a misnomer, right? We they operate within the confines of Canadian law. They obviously have to respect uh, civil society writ large and and all of the freedoms that go hand in hand with it. Uh, and until that protest or any protest can demonstrably jeopardize national security, the the rights of individuals, um, in a in a very functional sense, in a sort of physical sense, uh, it's hard for them to act. You know, our intelligence officers aren't. Uh, aren't trained, nor are they equipped by law to go out and investigate people, arrest people, herd them into, into camps, all of this kind of thing that I've you know, seen some people comment on is unrealistic within the, the dimensions of a civil society. So, yeah, you can prepare and there probably should have been better preparation. I think that's a fair, if early assessment of, of the matter. But uh, there are limitations by virtue of us being a, a democratic society. You've also spoken a lot about interagency communication uh, in terms of border security. One of the things that might be striking to an outsider seeing this unfold is how few people have managed to essentially plug off some of the most important border crossings as far as trade is concerned in this country quite easily, quite quickly, and seemingly with a fair amount of impunity. And I'm wondering what that says about our border security. And is that not a national security issue? Yeah, you could certainly make the case that it is a national security issue, and and there's no two ways about it. In the same way that I know some uh, people, residents of Ottawa in particular, are are of course taking this matter into their own hands, filing civil suits, saying it's in effect uh, jeopardizing their way of life. It's a health hazard to them. It's more than an annoyance. Um, and of course, Ottawa police have have called it flat out. The chief of police called it an insurrection, uh, which would of course suggest that it's a fundamental threat to national security at the borders. I think you really do have a case to, 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 to say that, personally speaking, because it does uh, compromise trade, it jeopardizes the food supply, which is part of a national security paradigm. Um, I don't know that, you know, in Canada or many other countries, those things are are, uh, are really negotiable, those kind of, you know, uh, infrastructure, if you like, borders, hospitals, transportation hubs, um, especially in urban centers, they're always vulnerable. Right. This is this is one of the, the problems of emergency preparedness and, and national security planning is that there are always going to be soft targets and there's always going to be targets that are easily and, and pretty effectively compromised. Um, and so that is a, that is the line in the proverbial sand, at which point do you say, well, you've done too much and now you threaten uh, our uh, our collective national security. Uh, I think you can make a case that if that's going to happen at the border, the trade involved uh, compromises national security for sure. Nobody's asking me from Ottawa, but I, I would certainly make that case. Given so. 
Um, I'm speaking with uh, Arne Kislenko, Associate Professor with the Department of History at Ryerson University and an instructor in the Margaret Macmillan Trinity One International Relations Program at Trinity College at the University of Toronto. We're talking about national security uh, issues. We're talking about blockades at uh, major border crossings in this country, as well as the ongoing protests in Ottawa. One of the things that, again, as an outsider looking in, that strikes you is just jurisdictional issues, how it's so often left to local police to handle issues where there seems to be different jurisdictions at play. How complicated does that make enforcing uh, the rules, say, at a border? Well, yeah, it's very complicated. And, and you know, the, the siege in Ottawa is, I think, probably the best example. Ottawa police are clearly strapped beyond their, their means, their logistical, financial means uh, to tackle this. Um, that would necessitate a request uh, and an intervention on behalf of uh, either the RCMP or, as many people are talking about, uh, the Canadian Armed Forces. The, the problem with all of those things isn't just jurisdictional and sort of command structure and who orders what and when. Uh, it's also obviously the optics, right? If a, a local police force is handling the situation, it sends a message that the, the protest isn't necessarily as big or as... Um, the moment you call in soldiers, the propensity for violence is, is sadly, I think, exponentially higher. Uh, that's that's a kind of law of dynamics, I suppose, when you get in, into protests. Uh, plus, of course, there are inferences here. What exactly do you do when you're that police officer, whether it's uh, it's Ottawa police or, or CP? And what do you do when you're a soldier? Are they uh, given to use martial force. Right? There are really difficult questions uh, that are political in orientation, no matter how we pretend it's just a matter of law enforcement. This is obviously a, a question. Um, and some of the technology that's being used by people, you know, suggests that complexity. The, the Ottawa a police chief said insurrection, that's a, he's an intelligent man, that's a heavily laden term. Uh, and that sort of, to me, indicates that he's made it clear that a, a higher power may in this case, the federal government has to intervene. Um, the the prime minister, you know, said uh, we're getting close to uh, the threshold in terms of, of national security threat. So these are, I think, political telegraphs, if you like, to suggest that the situation is uh, getting more and more complicated. Um, and yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult. I, I would presume that the case that Ottawa police really can't handle it over a, a protracted period of time, and again, their resources are stretched, that they're going to make formal requests uh, to, to the RCMP, and then presumably again, um, based on the Prime Minister's inclination, whether or not the military is called out is a, is a big question, but that's, that is a huge complexity for sure. As far as border security is concerned, as I, as I and others have written, um, the sad truth is that often border security isn't in constant and in-depth conversation on national security matters as, as, as I and others would like to see it. Uh, in the case of the pandemic, CDSA, Canada Border Service Agency, uh, was largely kept out of the loop in a, in a lot of ways or forced to sort of uh, not, in, not exactly go to along but take the records from public health uh, agency. And that, that coordination or lack thereof, I, I think, uh, led to significant problems. So we need to understand that when we talk about law enforcement and intelligence in this country or, or many countries, we're talking about many moving parts, which are p politically conditioned. They're responding in real time. It's all about context. And it is very much about leadership too.
I'm back with Arnie Kozlenko, Associate Professor with the Department of History at Ryerson University and an instructor in the Margaret Macmillan Trinity One International Relations Program at Trinity College at the University of Toronto. We've been talking about the protests in Ottawa and the blockades at borders, including uh, Windsor and in Coots in Alberta, and the national security implications of that. Um, one of the things that you brought up that I thought was really interesting is that there does seem to be, when it comes to these protests, not just an enforcement issue about whose jurisdiction it is, but there always seems to be political reticence to get involved, to want to be the one seen to be enforcing the rules, so to speak. How do you think that's uh, what have you seen in the last few weeks with Ottawa and the, and the border blockades in terms of how politicians have been, I would say, in some senses, kind of passing the buck to each other? Sure. Uh, that's a that's an excellent uh, way to frame it. Uh, this has become an instantly political issue. And, and of course, within that, there's different kinds of politicians. Some have stood on principle and said, you know, this is really uh, now an issue of endangering uh, citizens of Ottawa and endangering our national security at the borders. Um, and other ones, you know, at least initially thought it was more photo op and decided to get, you know, a little snapshot selfies of them with truckers, not necessarily understanding or considering the long-term implications of that kind of an association for, for good or for bad. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of waffling and you're going to see it because I think most people understand a couple of essential things. First, this protest is uh, has been dramatically conflated. Uh, if I was a national security analyst on this scenario, I would rank that as probably the most important significant issue here is that what started as a as a you know potentially even a very logical and well-meaning uh, protest by 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 truckers um, has been added to almost uh, immeasurably. We just don't know the full range of issues that some people are arguing or the groups that are associated with it. So it's kind of dramatically morphed, expanded. Um, and the reason that's so significant is because it makes it really hard to know exactly what this is all about. I mean, interchangeably, you see some people talking just about the, the vaccination requirements for truckers. Uh, others now are, are carrying a mishmash of slogans and signs a whole parade of uh, really unfortunate uh, uh, emblems and uh, and you know sort of symbols, especially racist and, and anti-Semitic symbols. Uh, so it, it's it's exponentially changed <clears throat> from whatever was initially intended to be something else, and that's a that's that that opens up a big Pandora's box, as it were. And I think politicians, therefore, you know, sometimes probably mistakenly think that it's about one thing, but have aligned themselves with other uh, forces or other ideas, as have Canadians. I think some protesters out there don't necessarily know the full range of what it is that the protesters are all about, who's included in uh, in the group. Uh, and the other reason, obviously, that this has become political is because it, it speaks fundamentally to our, our COVID policies, collective, uh, to individual rights about vaccination, which is a sort of the ghost in the background here that everybody's talking about. Um, and it, it's gone even farther. It has become, of course, about what some people are calling freedom, how exactly that is defined or, or uh, quantified is a bit of a question. But um, it's become much, much bigger than intended. And, and the danger of that is, of course, like I said, association and who you're involved with, uh, but also you know, let's be realistic. If some elements of, of the protest movements now uh, harbor significantly different uh, ideas or objectives than the mainstream, this becomes a very different protest with very different political ramifications for Canada and Canadians. I mean, often it's not quite clear what the protest is for, even if the protesters themselves agree on why they're blockading or what could get them to move. Um, one of the things that has been interesting is is there has been a certain sense of impunity, as far as we can tell, this idea that we're not going to be moved, in fact, or we can threaten those that 
choose to try to move us. That to me is odd because I've been in many other countries where if, if you blockade a border, you know, you're going to be gone fast. Mm-hmm. That's just the way Like there is no, there are no negotiations there is no ifs, ands and buts. And I'm curious, and I, we've talked about the optics and, and, and the logistics and the jurisdictional issues here, but at the end of the day, does it not make our border security look weak? You, you could certainly make that case. And I think a lot of Canadians uh, are, again, not just at the border, but in Ottawa too. I, I saw some angry uh, um, Ottawa residents saying, you know, just get rid of them, move in and get rid of them. And I, I can absolutely understand uh, their perspective. Uh, we also try to, of course, understand the motivations, perspective, feelings of, of protesters too. Um, at the end of the day, I think that hesitancy is is pretty easily understood in, in, in what Prime Minister Trudeau and other officials are, are worried about, which is that the moment that they take any concerted action uh, to remove the protesters, it could lead to, to violence. That's a, a very real prospect. It's something that here in Canada we don't necessarily get uh, as much as let's say, our, our neighbors to the south. Um, but, but listen, the, the reality is, is it, uh, it's a sobering reality, but it's, it's very important. The propensity for violence is just as great here as it is anywhere else. We, we need to stop pretending uh, with ourselves that Canadians are somehow innately you know, nicer, friendlier or something. Uh, fortunately, this is a country that uh, institutionally uh, and in every single practice of civil society relies on dialogue and negotiation. I'd like to think that's going to prevail. But especially when you have unidentified parties, some of which clearly harbor extremist uh, ideologies, um, there is a real propensity for violence the moment that you act. And I'm sure that Prime Minister Trudeau and, and the mayor of Ottawa and other officials have been debriefed uh, by national security experts cautioning on it doesn't necessarily mean that that's an option that won't be enacted it just means i think rightly so it's a last resort and we're all certainly hoping for a peaceful end and one that of course respects uh, democratic norms in this country as well arne kislenko thank you so much for your time thanks for having me